Hey, everyone, and welcome to the Flatlining Podcast. Podcast brings you great healthcare analysis and discussion each week. I'm Matthew Hanley from Flatlining.net, and for the second week in a row, it's a world record. We are face to face. With me is the president and CEO of Fulcrum Strategies and economist, Ron Howergan. Ron, welcome back. Thank you. It's good to be here as always. We are at the EDPMA Solutions Summit 2023 in Las Vegas, Nevada, and one of the hot topics of discussion here is the No Surprises Act, and especially the current litigation against the Department of Health and Human Services by the Texas Medical Association, and that is our topic today here on the Flatlining Podcast. Today, Ron, there is hearings going on uh, in the Texas Medical Association cases for TMA3 and TMA4. And so we don't know what the outcome is yet. Um, we won't hear from the judge until late May, June. Is that- yeah, probably around June 1st-ish. And uh, so we're going to talk about where we've where we're coming from, what's the problem, and what's going to happen if these go in, in either direction. So let's talk about the first part of why the No Surprises Act has not been implemented properly. Well, I think most people believe that the reason why it hasn't been implemented property is, properly is you had a change in administration. Mm-hmm. Understand the law was passed under the previous administration, but it has to be administered under the current administration. And there's a different feeling and a different opinion, especially through Secretary Becerra of HHS, on how this law should have been passed and how they would like it to read. And unfortunately, that's not the way the law reads, and that's why it hasn't been implemented properly. So you're right. It's a Trump administration law uh, that then came into effect during the Biden administration. Um what has this meant for patients so far? Has it worked how it's supposed to for patients at least? Yeah, so for patients it has worked. The The basis of the law was to get the patient out of the middle when they go to an in-network facility and receive services from an out-of-network physician by making it illegal to balance bill them. That has happened. Mm-hmm. Patients aren't being balance billed. They're getting their full in-network benefits. So at least that part of it has been correct. How has it cost physicians in this regard? Because this is, this is where it gets tricky with, with how it's being not properly enforced. Yeah, so it really has been very detrimental to physicians, probably at the worst possible time, meaning at a time when they're facing incredible pressures to staff, high inflation, high demand, um, and the fact that this law isn't being implemented correctly has hurt them financially pretty dramatically. And bringing this to the attention, really, of HHS hasn't really done much. That's the primary reason for suing in this regard, correct? Yeah, exactly. So after this law was implemented and people saw that it wasn't being enforced correctly, implemented correctly, there were a lot of entities, you know, ASEP, AMA, you know, RBMA, et cetera, that all sort of filed complaints with the Secretary of Health and Human Services and said, hey, you need to do this right. That, for the most part, fell on deaf ears. And that's why the Texas Medical Association filed their lawsuit, TMA1, and we're now up to TMA4. Mm-hmm to try to force the administration to administer the law the way it was written in its spirit and its intent. And it's not the first time the Biden administration has really failed to enforce some of these uh, transparency laws, some of these other things that are going on in healthcare. I remember uh, Secretary Becerra was interviewed by NBC News, uh, and he was asked how many um, you know penalties have they sent out for violations of the Hospital Transparency Act. And he said, well, we've sent a lot of warnings, but they hadn't really sent any uh, real penalties out. So right now we're today, the hearings are on TMA three and TMA four. So let's go back a little bit and talk about TMA one and TMA two, which from what I remember, were virtually the same case. They were. So TMA one was basically a case where the, the suit was brought by the plaintiffs, um, physicians saying that the direction that the Becerra 
uh, the Biden administration was giving to the arbitrators was wrong. Basically, what was happening was they were telling the arbitrators that just believe the QPA or the qualifying payment amount unless the provider proves beyond a shadow of a doubt. And those weren't the right words, but with this overwhelming evidence that it's wrong. That's not the way the law was written. So the best way to think about it, it'd be a little bit like saying to a jury, hey, this guy's guilty unless he absolutely proves he's innocent. Um, and that's not the way the law was. That's really not the burden of proof. So Texas Medical Association sued and TMA won, said that's not what the law says. The judge, Judge Cronodal, agreed and told the government to get rid of their guidance and come back with new guidance. The government did that. They came back with new guidance. And lo and behold, it was almost the exact same language as the old guidance. So Texas Medical Association sued again. That's TMA2 if you're keeping track. Um, it went before the judge. The judge basically said, hey, haven't I already ruled on this case? Um, the federal government said, no, no, Your Honor, it's very different. He said, no, it really isn't. And he ruled again and said, cut it out, get rid of this guidance, come back with guidance that matches the law. And finally, the government did. And they came back with guidance that told the arbitrators that the qualifying payment amount is only one of many factors that they should consider, and they shouldn't weigh it any greater than any other factor, which is what the law said. So we finally got that settled. And now that's the way it's being handled. So other than uh, just it simply wasn't their law, what, what was the motivation by making the QPA such an important piece of the arbitration process? Well, the original intent of the QPA was, and it, and it had a really good intent. So if you're going to have an argument over what the final rate should be, you need to have the provider of service be paid something in the interim. You can't just hang things up in court or through an arbitration. So they came out with this QPA, this qualifying payment amount. They've got a formula on how you're supposed to calculate it as a reasonable estimate of what should be close to the right payment. Um, so the emergency room physician, the radiologist, anesthesiologist, et cetera, gets some payment. The member knows what their out-of-pocket is based on that payment, if they've got to pay a deductible or whatever. And that should be reasonably close. And then if there's some argument about whether that's not quite enough, then you can go to the dispute resolution. But you're not going after the whole amount because that would create a cash flow problem. So that's how it was supposed to happen. And that's why the QPA was important as this interim payment, if you will. <laughs> we'll be right back with more of the Flatlining Podcast. Hi there. Thanks for checking out the Flatlining Podcast. If you like this program and the content you're listening to, do us and your fellow healthcare workers a favor. Subscribe to the show on this platform and share it with your friends. We're quickly growing thanks to you, and we want to help more and more physicians and practice managers stay up to date on the most pressing issues in healthcare. So subscribe and share the program with your friends and colleagues. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, give us five stars and leave us a review. Thanks for listening. As I said today, the hearings are taking place for TMA3 and TMA4, so I want to spend some time now talking about where this might go. And I've kind of, in our show notes, I've kind of planned out three sort of scenarios. And, and the first scenario I want to talk about is if what we're hoping for is that TMA3 and TMA4 both go in our favor. And I'm getting a little ahead of myself. We should probably talk about yeah. what TMA3 and TMA4 are, because unlike TMA1 and 2, they are different cases that are uh, litigating different issues in the law. Yeah, so basically TMA3 is a lawsuit that says that the qualifying payment amount, that QPA amount, 
is not being calculated correctly by the carriers. There's very specific language that it has to be the median contractual rate in a certain mar in a given market by a like provider, same service, mm -hmm. on January 1 of 2019, inflated to today's dollars. So it's very specific on what it's supposed to be. Um, the lawsuit on TMA3 says they're not doing that, that the carriers are not calculating that correctly, and that the government is failing in their obligation to audit them to make sure that they're calculated correctly. It'd be a little bit like if the IRS said, you know what, we're just going to trust you. Just tell us how much you think you owe us, and we're not going to audit anybody's taxes. Well, in that scenario, I don't know about you, but most people probably wouldn't pay their full tax. That's why you have specific laws, and it's why you have an audit department to make sure that everybody's is doing it correctly. And TMA4? TMA4 gets to the fact that when this whole process was started, there's an administrative fee to file in an arbitration. It's $50. It's nominal. And then, basically, there's an arbitration fee to pay the arbitrator. And loser pays. So both sides would submit the arbitration fee. The winner gets it refunded. And that was about $300, $400 per case, per batch. Federal government decided on their own to raise those just a tad. They raised the administrative fee from $50 to $350. Just a bit. And they raised the arbitration fee from roughly $300, $400 to 1000 Okay, So what TMA4 is saying is that the government can't take away a right and that by making something really undoable financially, that's taking away the right. It'd be a little bit like saying you have the right to a jury trial, but you have to pay a million dollars to seat that jury. Well, nobody could do it. Right. And in the case of the $300, $350 administrative fee, which is not refundable, they found that over 95% of all radiology disputes aren't even worth $350. So TMA4 is basically saying by making the price so high and you didn't have to do that, you, made, you took away the right of these providers to, to go through the process. So in the first scenario, TMA3 and TMA4 both go in our in our and physicians' favor. And so obviously in this instance, physicians are going to benefit. How much would they benefit if both of these cases go in, in, in our favor? Well, they'll benefit greatly. First of all, in TMA3, if the QPA is cal being calculated correctly, everybody believes that the number of cases that would have to go to arbitration will go significantly down. In other words, if I'm getting paid for my service, roughly what the other groups in my specialty are getting paid and inflated to today's dollars, I probably don't even need to go to arbitration. It's a reasonable payment. Okay, so that's that's number one. Number two in TMA3 is those numbers are supposed to be known and transparent ahead of time. And so if I know those numbers and I know that's what market rate is likely to be, again, it will probably eliminate the need to even send stuff to arbitration. I'll get paid reasonably and fairly up front and we're all good. Okay, so that's TMA3. TMA4 also then removes this incredible financial barrier. So let's say that I get paid a reasonable rate in, in, uh, in the QPA, but this was a very difficult case and it involved a child, and I really do think there's more money extenuating circumstances. I can avail myself of the arbitration process and have it really only cost me $50, which is a nominal fee. So if both of them go provider's way, likely what's going to happen is they're going to get paid fairly up front. They're not even going to have to go to arbitration. And when they do, it won't be financially too cumbersome to do. It'll be a great day for um, for the physicians across the country. And for TMA3, if that get, goes the way it's supposed to, will that make the QPA transparent? It's supposed to, yeah. 
um, by law, actually by law, the QPA was supposed to be transparent six months before the law went into effect. So people were supposed to be able to see it before the actual no balance billing, and it's never been transparent. Mm-hmm. And I know we've talked with uh, <laughs> representatives from the payers and said, hey, what's the QPA for this? So, well, we don't we don't have to tell you that, yeah. which you're right. By law, they, they do. So obviously, physicians are going to benefit from this situation where both TMA3 and TMA4 go in our favor. The next question, though, is how quickly will things actually change? Well, that will largely depend on what the judge does in his ruling, on how quickly he says this must happen, how he does his ruling, and if it gets appealed. Mm-hmm. So, you know, just like we've seen with other rulings in other cases, uh, the judge could rule in our favor and the federal government could then immediately take it to an appellant court. They could ask that appellant court to stay his ruling until the appellant court gets a chance to see it. Theoretically, on some of these, um, it could go to the U.S. Supreme Court. Mm-hmm. So um, a big question mark is, will this change very quickly? Um, will the ruling for some of these be retroactive, which theoretically could happen? He could get rid of all this guidance. Um, or is this something that's going to be hung up in appellant court for years and years? We just don't know that yet. And with the retroactive, how, how would that affect uh, the, the benefit given to physicians? Well, so the, the, the nice thing about being a federal judge is there's a great deal of latitude, and right. your rulings apply to the whole country. So theoretically, the judge could say, look, you've never been calculating this correctly. I want you to calculate it correctly. I want you to go retrospective to day one of the law. And any time you've underpaid a QPA claim, I want you to make it good. He could do that. Mm-hmm. Um, that would be wonderful for physicians because they'd right. have to go back and say, well, this claim that I only paid you $100 is actually worth 200 Here's your extra $100. Um, and you'd, you'd suddenly get these you know, retro payment checks to all of these providers. Do you think that HHS would appeal that? Or do you think that it's kind of, I mean, really what we're looking at is enforcement mechanism here, that it's not being enforced. Right. You know, I don't know if they, if they want to turn around and say, you know what, you're right, this is the law, it's too much of a hassle to keep... Appealing. I think I think it's going to be an interesting decision. I think HHS would like to appeal it because they have a very specific feeling on what they want the law to read. Unfortunately, that's not what got passed. Now, the counterbalance to that is if HHS appeals this, it leaves themselves and the administration wide open to um, PR attacks and to political attacks that they are siding with big insurance. I will tell you that There may be a couple of industries that have a lower public opinion than insurance companies, maybe the tobacco companies, maybe, but not many. So uh, politically, it's not a great position to be siding with large insurance companies over doctors who save lives. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think it's going to be a really interesting decision to see if HHS appeals either of these decisions. I tend to doubt it. Um, I tend to think it gives too much political room for attack at a time when the administration, you know, we're getting ready to head into another um, another election cycle. I just don't don't think they will. But that's just me guessing. And depending on which way you look at it, they they could be in need of a win right now. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, They could be in the need of a win. And it, it gives them cover for saying, well, hey, we tried. You know, we tried to do it the way we wanted to do it in those darn courts. Yeah. You know, it's it's. It's great sort of cover to walk away from a fight when a judge tells you you've lost and blame it on the judge. Mm-hmm. You know, you know these activist judges. I mean, that'll right. – so rather than sending something to appeal and, to be honest with you, I think part of it will be whether they think they win on appeal or not. It's bad enough to lose in federal court. Getting beat in the appellant court is terrible. And then if you try to take it all the way to the Supreme Court, getting beat there, boy, that's three losses for one. Yeah. 
Yep. Uh, the the next situation that could happen is that both lawsuits are going to go, and what I've written in our show notes is the payer's favor, yep. that, the, that the judge decides that the federal government is in the right with both TMA3 and TMA4. So in this case, obviously it's going to go in the opposite way. The payers are going to benefit. How, how are they going to continue to benefit if this doesn't go our way? Well, what they'll do then is what they've been doing for the you know last little over a year is they'll be calculating these super low QPAs. They'll make it incredibly cumbersome to take this stuff to arbitration. And it will have a, a detrimental effect on hospital-based physicians. To me, I think that could be the thing that really has a, almost ends the independent practice of radiology, anesthesiology, and emergency medicine. They'll all become employees of the hospital. Um, the unfortunate part about that is that could exasperate the physician shortage People aren't going to want to go into that field if, if it looks like it's going to have to be an employee. And we've got experience, although in a different situation, of what happens to cost mm-hmm. when specialties become largely employed by hospitals, namely in cardiology. Many years ago, there was a change in reimbursement, and it resulted in most cardiologists. And I think the last number I saw was something like 75% of all practicing cardiologists are owned by a delivery system or hospital. And what we know happened after that is costs went up. And I think the same thing would happen if all the anesthesiologists, radiologists, and ER docs were all owned by hospitals. So we may end up with higher cost and lower access, which is, you know, a lose-lose. Do you think that they're going to get worse? I mean, we just talked about the the possibility of costs going up, but do you think other than that, do you think it could get worse in the situation they're facing? ER, ER uh, anesthesia and radiology are facing now. Yeah, I think it absolutely could. And what, what could happen, and we've got some experience with this, when the law was first passed, um, several insurance companies um, terminated large numbers of hospital-based physicians, thinking that this law provided them a way to just forcibly pay them less. I think there was a, and this was a survey, so um, the ASA, the Anesthesia uh, Association, did a survey, and something like over 40% of all groups said they had either been terminated by United Healthcare or had to reduce their contractual rates under threat of termination. So if they feel like this law bolsters that position, you could see a bunch of groups get terminated to try to force down reimbursement levels. And we saw the same thing with Blue Cross in, yep. in North Carolina. When, yep, when, they threatened to terminate. Yep. In this situation, this may sound like a, a dumb question or, you know, a no duh, but do you think the Texas Medical Association would appeal if both lawsuits don't go in their favor? Yeah, I think they absolutely will. They've, they've got a lot invested in this. Um, and I think they believe um, that they have a very good, solid case. Um, most of, and this is my opinion, and most of what TMA3 is about in their the, the Texas Medical Association case really is tracking with what the law says. Um, and it was the same thing with TMA1 and TMA2. The judge's ruling was not his interpretation of the law. To a large degree, he kept quoting the law mm-hmm. and saying, no, you, I'm just doing what they passed. And um, sort of the message you sent to the government was, if you don't like the law, then you need to pass a different law. Right. You don't get to just change the law the way you want it to read. And a lot of TMA3 and definitely TMA4, um, they think they've got a very strong legal argument for mm-hmm. The third situation that might happen is that it, you, we could have a mixed outcome, I, I suppose. We've got two lawsuits here that are having hearings on the same day. Um, and in here, I've kind of got probably the least likely scenario written down is that TMA3 
goes in our favor and TMA4 does not. And, right. I, and the reason I say that's least likely is you, you mentioned before TMA4, the lawyers almost think is just a layup. Yeah, yeah. The, most of the lawyers we talk to think TMA4 is an absolute layup, that, that there's a lot of case law and precedent for the government can't take away a right by making that right impossible to achieve or financially detrimental. Right. Um, so I think it's unlikely we win TMA3 and lose TMA4. If that happens, though, TMA is the Super Bowl. Okay, that's the that's the big one. Um, if we win TMA3 and lose TMA4, that's still fine. Providers are in good shape there. Um, but I think you're right. That's we'll have to be more less, choosy about what goes yeah, to arbitration. That's less likely yeah. than the, uh, the alternative. Is there a... You know, I, obviously, there's got to be a winner and a loser in this in this sense. But do you think in the end there there's some sort of, you know, I don't want to say compromise because it's the law. You're not supposed to be compromising on the law. But, you know, is there an, an amiable outcome for both payers and physicians here? Well, uh, I don't I don't think whoever I don't think you're going to see the both parties going. Eh, that's about right. Um, somebody's going to feel like they lost and they're going to put that statement out. Um, I do think, though, if you're if if the judge is sitting there looking for sort of a way to, you know, kind of meet in the middle, if you will, I wouldn't be surprised if he rules in favor of TMA three, but doesn't make it retroactive and instead puts a stake in the ground and says effective X date, this will happen. Um, One, to give the government time to enforce it Two, that automatically gives a time for them to go to an appellate court um, and, and see if it upholds there. But it also then doesn't do this massive, you know, financial hit to insurance companies. Even though, personally, I think he should go retroactive, I wouldn't be surprised But what he does, the you win, but only going forward. Right, right. Well, we will be keeping our ear to the ground on both of these cases, and hopefully we'll have an update for you in the next few weeks when Judge Kernodal issues his ruling on both of these. Uh, Ron, last minute, uh, while I've got you on here, you are speaking Thursday here at EDPMA, the Solutions Summit 2023. Um, for those of you that are here and might be listening, thank you. Uh, come stop by our booth at uh, booth 27 in the exhibit hall. We will be there. Uh, quickly, what's your what's your speech about on, on Thursday morning? It's a, uh, it's a bright, cheery speech. Uh, I think it's called The Gathering Storm, The Future of Healthcare. And it's really, <laughs> it's unfortunately, and I, I, I've sort of talked to somebody and said, you know, you don't yell at the oncologist for diagnosing the cancer. Don't yell at the economist for pointing out what's bad with the economy. So it's a, it's a look at what the post-COVID economy looks like and how that's going to impact healthcare. Um, and unfortunately, there there isn't necessarily a happy ending to it. Right. Well, Ron, again, thank you for your time and your wisdom here on the Flatlining Podcast, and we'll keep you all updated. Sounds good. Thank you. There's some ZZ Top covering Elvis Presley to carry us out today on the Flatlining Podcast. Flatlining Podcast is a production of Flatlining.net and Fulcrum Strategies. Copyright 2023. All rights reserved. Be sure to subscribe to the Flatlining Podcast on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Don't forget, you can engage with Ron and myself, plus other listeners of the program, in our chat, available on the Substack app and at flatlining.net. 
For Ron Howergan, I'm Matthew Hambly. Have a good week.